Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him. Keeping their distance from him, they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. And so you know, I think, maybe you don't, that the idea was, the thought behind these, this skin disease is that it was leprosy, and that if you had leprosy, you were an unclean person. As a person, you were unclean. And so if you had leprosy, you wouldn't be allowed to come into this room where those most of us don't have leprosy, right? Anybody? And so you would, you would have to shout out, unclean, don't come near me. And kind of, can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? When Jesus saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. As they left, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus replied, weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except this foreigner. Then Jesus said to him, get up and go. Your faith has healed you. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. I used to hate this passage of Scripture. It was like, oh, Jesus needs a thank you note? You know, like when you're 18 and you graduate from high school or 17 and you graduate from high school or 22 and you graduate from high school and you get all the gifts and then you have to like fill out all the thank you notes and it's like, what the heck? Like, don't people just want to give me gifts? Why do I have to say thank you? And then weddings, it's crazy at weddings, all the thank you notes and I had to help write them, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just crazy to have to say thank you that many times and when I was a kid, my parents were always telling me, like, when I would go to my friend's house to stay the night, use your manners, say please, say thank you, say yes ma'am, say no ma'am, say no thank you, say yes thank you. You know, it was always like that sort of thing. And I just have to say, um, I don't know that I'm any better at it now than I was then. And I honestly don't know that many of us are better at it now than we were then. We, we have this culture where we forget to be thankful for things. It's hard for us to show gratitude, and I don't really know how to teach my kids how to show real gratitude, and I don't really know how to teach you how to show real gratitude, but when I read this story now, it's a little different because I think about my life and the places I've been and the way that I've lived and the things that I've done and the fact that I was still called out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Like, There's something about that that gives me... Um, overwhelming gratitude. And I want for other people to experience that same thing. I, I was doing some reading this last week about gratitude and, and thankfulness and generosity, and I was wondering if there was a link between the two, because the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about generosity. And we're going to be talking about the things in our lives that get between us a barrier, a fence, a wall maybe, that get between us and the things that we're grateful for. Maybe more likely, like our, the things that get between us 
and us being the person we want to be. Did anybody ever, how many, how many of us have kids that we're responsible for raising? Do you ever say like, you know what I want to do? I want to raise a really selfish person. It's a goal of mine. I really hope my kids are like the most selfish people around. Nobody says that. We say, I want my kids to be generous. I want my kids to be kind. I want them to be thoughtful. I want them to, to be able to empathize with other people and try to understand how others feel. We don't say, oh man, I really, I'm going to be so proud when they're the most selfish person around. We, it's just not how we live. But how do we teach our kids to be generous? Because that's one of the things we admire most in people is generosity. For me, it starts with being grateful. There's this practice that has come into, it's kind of popular right now, having a, a gratitude journal, right? Where people will have a little journal and in it they'll write three or four things that they're grateful for in the morning and three or four things that they're grateful for in the evening. And I think that's a really, really good practice. And it's almost shameful to me that it comes from outside of Christianity because we kind of started that whole thing of saying grace and being grateful for, for things. And now we're being taught by other people, oh yeah, Christians, this is a good way to live. Say thank you, by the way, and be grateful for the things that you have. But instead, it's coming from other places and it's fine. We can pick it up and take that on. But I started thinking about, like, does that really help? Does that work for us to be able to become more generous people to actually show gratitude? So I started Googling around, and I found out that there's this thing called the cycle of generosity. And it's a real psychological thing. Um, there have been studies done on it at USC and other places, and psychological journals have written about it. They've stuffed people inside an MRI machine and tested their brains while they were hearing stories of things where people were given gifts and you could, you could, their brains would light up about with when they would start feeling grateful about things. And it was the same part of their brain that would light up when they were being, thinking about being generous. It's a symbiotic relationship between being grateful and being generous. So when our parents tell us to say thank you, what they're really also saying is share. Because those two things go hand in hand. And it's not that you jump into the cycle at gratefulness and then you become, you become generous. Maybe you jump in at generous and you become thankful. It's, it's a circle. One of the tests they did is they took Holocaust survivors and started viewing their brains when they were hearing stories through headphones told to them about people who helped other folks in the Holocaust get rescued and survive. Because a lot of people during the Holocaust survived because they had lots and lots of help. And then they would read stories to them about people uh, on the Underground Railroad who were receiving help all around the eastern part of the United States, getting some help escaping from slavery. And their brains would start lighting up. And then they started telling them stories about generous acts that they had done and that they had heard of other people doing and their brain would light up and there's this thing that happens. And so when we're actually thankful, it causes us to be more generous.
there's a story I read about a woman who received a heart transplant. And this is what she said. I have a desire to do something in return, to do thanks, to give thanks, give things, give thoughts, give love. So gratitude becomes the gift, creating a cycle and giving and receiving the endless waterfall, filling up and spilling over. Perhaps not even to the giver, but to someone else. I just want to pass on the gift. If you read the devotional book this week, Bishop Schnazy talks about birds building nests. Did anybody read it? Good, good, good. Who lied just now? <laughs> Nobody's admitting to it. He tells this story about birds building nests. He was watching a bird build a nest, and it caused him to start kind of looking into why do birds build nests? We have this idea in our life, like you meet someone, and you see that they have a job that they really like and they're getting paid a fair sum for it and they have a house and they're kind of building up their nest, we'll say. And we could say to someone, oh, you've really, you've really created a nice nest for yourself. But that's not accurate in bird world, right? Birds build nests not for themselves but for their offspring. And I started thinking about that this week. That really hit me and I started thinking, why does this place... Why does our faith, why does this matter to me so much? And it's really like, yeah, it matters to me because I recognize I can still smell the darkness sometimes. I am really grateful to be appointed to pastor in this town because the darkest days of my life were lived here. And I sometimes will drive by apartment complexes or go down a street and it's almost like I'm having a flashback and I can literally smell the darkness sometimes. And it reminds me that I've been called out of that into a new place, but I know that other people are living in that darkness and they're being called to, but they can't hear it. And it's our job to build the nest, to bring them out, to put a secure thing around them so that they can live in the light. It's not about us. I wonder sometimes, my, my father-in-law uh, manages a country club. And he thinks that my job and his job are the same. And the problem is, I think some of you do too. That we're part of a club. Sisters and brothers, this is not a club. This isn't even a service organization kind of fraternity. This is a life-changing thing that we're part of. And we gather together like this to be reminded we're not the only crazy ones in the world who believe that there's darkness and light and that there's a way of walking in the light and a voice calling us out into it. And, and I wonder sometimes, like, am I going to be that person at some point who's complaining about the color of the walls or the carpet? Oh, I don't like that song. I wish we sang a different song. Wish the grass, I wish we had grass. I mean, like we get kind of caught up in that sort of thing, right? And I get it, like I do too. A few weeks ago, I was officiating a funeral. And, and then I had a meeting after that that went late into the night and I was driving home and my kids were about to go to bed and so they called me because they wanted to talk to me before they went to bed and, and Emery said, hey dad, did you, get, did you get a lot of work done today? And I said, no, I didn't get very much done. And I had this thought like, no, you got, you got the work done. 
Sometimes I think it's about the administration and it's about making sure that all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and that everything's exactly the way it's supposed to be. You know where ministry is done? When I'm sitting with a family who's grieving over the loss of a loved one. When I'm celebrating with someone because they just got married. When I'm getting to pour water on top of someone's head while they're being baptized or dunk them down into the water. When I get to sit with somebody and pray with them and can be concerned for them because their life isn't working the way that they want it to work. Maybe their marriage is cracking and crumbling. That's ministry, and you all get to do it also in your everyday lives. But sometimes we think that this is not that, or that this is only that. We're building a nest, and it's not for us. It's for them, whoever they are, wherever they're at. And we build that nest because we're grateful for what God has done in our lives. Does that make sense? It's a response. I once heard the word worship defined as responding to the greatness and glory of God. And I think this Samaritan, when he turned around and ran back to Jesus and fell down at his feet, was doing just that responding to the greatness and glory of God. But guess what? He didn't stay there. He didn't stay at Jesus' feet and just follow him around singing songs and responding to his greatness and glory. He left. And can you imagine the conversations he had when he walked into his parents' living room and they were like, what happened? And he tells the story and then they go tell their neighbors and they tell their neighbors, did you hear what happened to the neighbor's kid? I have a neighbor who has a neighbor who was telling me this story about this kid that lives down the road. I mean, more and more people heard the story. A nest was being built for the future. That's what we're doing. It's not about us. But what happens sometimes is we let it get in our way. So the opposite of generosity is selfishness. And if we can remove this picket from the fence and be generous, we are building a better nest. And we are becoming more like the people that we know we want to be. Because if you think about the person you want to be, think about the way you want your kids or your nieces or your nephews or your cousins or whoever, how you want them to be. Nobody wants to be selfish. But sometimes we forget that we don't want to be selfish. I do. Sometimes I forget to be grateful for what I have. I'll be driving down the road and my pickup makes a noise and I'm like, I'll bet their pickup doesn't make a noise. (laughs) I have a pickup. I've got this thing happening with my Achilles tendon that I'm not real comfortable with and it's making me nervous and I'm like, I'll bet he doesn't have that going on. You know what? Like I can walk around on my two legs. My heart is beating the way it's supposed to be beating. I have a lot to be grateful for. But even if I ended up having to have my Achilles tendon like repaired or whatever, guess what? I live in a nation where that can happen. And if it doesn't go well and... Uh, I end up not 
being able to do the things I want to do. Guess what? I'm alive. I get to, like, there's always something to be grateful for. And it's not like in some Pollyanna, like, way. It's real. So sisters and brothers, let's be more grateful. Let's be like my friend in Abilene who, his dad, when I would see his dad, I'd say, hey, how's it going, Mr. Corey? And he would say, I'm grateful. And I would think, like, that's cheesy. That's like that West Texas, like, syrupy, I'm going to be nice to everybody thing and, like, twist the knife in their back in the middle of it. But the reality is he was one of the most generous people I knew. And I believe him that he was grateful. The story goes he solved the wounds of a stranger on the road, placed him on his donkey, took him safely to a home, and he was a Samaritan. Barren and alone, high noon at Jacob's well, she tells all to the prophet who seems to cast a spell, giving living waters. And she was a Samaritan. Scabs with hanging skin in a community of ten call out to the healer for mercy, please befriend. Nine out of ten walk off to find their cleansed while only one returns to raise his grateful praise. And he was a Samaritan. Mother Emanuel Church in friendly Charleston town befriends a, stranger, befriends a stranger, pray with him on the sacred ground. Bullets and blood begin to fly. A cry goes out, deep lament. Yet in the cry they forgive. Salve the wounds with living waters. In gratitude they live. And they're all Samaritans. When we live with gratitude, we build a nest that can change the world around us to even the most horrific circumstances can be forgiven. But when we live with this picket still in the fence and live selfishly, there's no nest being built. And what we're experiencing now will go away. And we want people to experience it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.